Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it. And just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. There's so many ways. I think we just kind of said it without saying it. There's so many ways to finance these things, right? It's like financing really isn't a problem. I don't think it's finding good, good properties and being, you know, good managing them well and, and all that stuff. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. Guys, if you haven't heard, I am trying to help you. I am trying to help you. I'm always trying to help you. I've been trying to help you for over a decade since I started this podcast. But now I'm putting the number out there. I want to help 100 people reach their goals in 2023. There's still plenty of time. Reach out to me if you want to be one of the 100 that I help this year. And I will cap it at 100. I'm not going to take 200 to try to make people like hurry up and reach out. If you reach out to me and I'm helping 100 people, I'm going to say thank you for your interest. I appreciate it. Let's talk next year. So 100 people this year. I want to help you reach your goals. It's very simple. You can reach out to me on Facebook. That's the preferred method right now. Uh, that's where I'm kind of curating all this activity. And uh, my my Facebook uh, name or my Facebook ID is Mike S. Simmons. So that's two S's in the middle, Mike S. Simmons. Uh, and then you can check me out on Facebook there or send me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Let me know you want to be one of the 100. We will hop on a call or we'll, we'll communicate through email or text, whatever is easiest for both of us and see if it makes sense. I can't help everybody necessarily. Uh, if you're doing something that's not in my uh, area of expertise, then I will respectfully tell you uh, that I can't help you probably. I'm not the right person. And I'm big on that. I want to make sure that if I tell you I can help you, I can actually help you and get you to your goals. I never pretend to know things I don't know. Right. So uh, reach out to me if you want to be one of the 100 and we can talk and uh, hopefully we'll get you on track and get you to your goals before the end of the year. Okay, guys. I have a great episode for you today. This is part two of my interview with uh, James and Riley. If you remember from the last episode, and by the way, if you didn't hear my last episode, well, and right before this one, go check it out. It's the first part of this interview. James and Riley are short-term rental experts. They're based in Canada, but man, these guys know what they're doing. They have a great business. They're really, really smart. And I just had tons of questions and I needed a second part for me to get through all of the questions that I wanted to ask them personally. So hopefully this will be beneficial for you if you're thinking about short-term rentals or if you're already doing them and maybe struggling or have some questions, these guys are awesome. So I asked them if they'd come back. They uh, graciously agreed to come back and, and answer more of my questions that I'm firing at them. And I think this episode was amazing. I had a lot of fun the first time. I think this one was as good, if not better. Different questions, obviously, different parts of the business. I asked them more questions in this particular episode that I truly had no idea, or I was just not, you know, very up to speed on what I should be doing. And so it was great. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. I had a great time. Get your pens and paper out, get ready to take notes, because these guys are just dropping gold bombs left and right. All right, guys, I give you James and Riley. All right, guys, we are back for round two. I've got James and Riley back here talking short-term rentals. And uh, last time we talked, we talked about finding deals, um, 
setting up properties, analyzing deals, um, neighborhoods, regulations, arbitrage, which I know you guys don't do the way that I that I suggested it, but um, and we had, we covered a ton. There was a lot of information there, and being someone who is particularly personally interested in short term rentals and building out my business, uh, I just had a lot of questions. And we got to the end of that hour. I promised you guys we'll keep it within an hour to respect your time, uh, and that's important to me. But I just had so much more to ask. And selfishly, I just wanted to get you back here so I could ask them. But I think we're going to cover stuff that other people are going to want to know. And I just think you guys are really smart about how you're doing things. And I appreciate you coming back and kind of giving me another a chance at this and another swing at the, at the plate here to, to get some things answered. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be back. Good, good, good. I'm happy to have you back. Okay, so we'll dive in. Uh, we, I covered briefly just now what we talked about last time. Um but I want to get into some things, and I sort of listed them at the end of the last podcast, just kind of bullet pointed a few things that I want to talk about. And I, I started talking uh, to James um, off off mic here before we started recording, uh, but we'll get back into it a little bit. I want to talk about financing. Um, you guys are growing a business. You're highly successful. One thing that trips people up, whether it's fix and flip, long-term rentals, mid-term rentals, whatever it is, when it comes to real estate... People typically have two questions. How do I find properties? How do I finance properties? So can you guys kind of talk a little bit about how, as you're building this, like what are your financing strategies? And I, I kind of already know some of the answer because I said we, we started this conversation a bit off mic, but do you have one source? Do you have multiple sources, private money, institutional money? What, what are you guys doing to find, not find, but to fund your deals right now? Sure. Yeah. So in, in Canada, we have essentially A, B, and C lenders. And depending on the project, it will depend on the type of lender. So essentially A lenders are the big banks. So they're going to be your best interest rates. Typically the most challenging to get financing with. And then your B lenders are going to be financial institutions, but just not the the, the bigger banks. They have kind of decent mortgage rates, but just not that great. And then your C lenders would be hard money loans um, and then private loans. We're usually going after A as much as we can for the cottages and the, the short-term rentals that we have. Um, we've used B and C before. We actually had a, a, a short-term rental follow through last minute. We had to raise like three quarters of a million dollars in like 24 hours with C, C money. That was a whole other, you know, that's a whole other story for another day. But, but depending on the situation, we will tap into a different type of financing, a different type of lender. But we're always going after A. And, you know, again, it depends on your situation, but you can you can certainly look to potentially use it as your primary residence. If that's going to be the case, obviously there's contingencies there if it's going to be your primary. So just look into that with a mortgage broker. It could be a secondary residence. It could be a vacation home. There's a few different options there for your, your application that you'd be submitting for an A lender. Um, B lenders and C lenders, they don't really care that much. So you can put down uh, almost anything on the application. It, it's going to be okay as long as, the numbers could make sense for them. Um, but A lenders tend to be a bit more strict. And so definitely a conversation with a mortgage broker to have. We've used all of the above um, and all of it can work. It just depends on the situation with the property. Okay. Now, when you talk about C lenders, I, what I'm hearing from you is like an A lender is a bank, like a big bank, institutional mortgage company, whatever. A B lender is more like, and just using, I don't know if you guys have the same thing there, but like uh, like credit unions and local banks, something smaller. And then so, a C would be like literally a hard money lender, like an institutional hard money lender company. But I noticed you didn't mention private money, like high net worth individuals. Is that a strategy you guys use? That's still C. So C is hard money. So it'd be like a financial institution. Yeah. Like, you know, a MIC or something like that. And then the private lenders would still fall in that kind of C lender category. So it's higher interest rates, either secured or unsecured. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I want. I, I kind of figured that's what you were doing. I just want to make sure that, that that's what you were saying. You're just considered C. Anybody who's not a bank, credit union, whatever, local bank, just all that. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah. I'll, so I'll add, I'll add to that as well. That like um, one of the, one of the options that we talked about off mic there uh, was that in the U S there are some slightly different lending options. So in the United States, they're actually uh, what's called DSCR, DSCR loans uh, available uh, for short-term rentals, stands for debt service coverage ratio. So it's asset-based lending on a short-term rental where these lenders are actually just more versed, more experienced with short-term rentals. They understand them the same way that an investor would. And so they're actually willing to underwrite the deal based on the pro forma that they run that's really similar to the one we'd run to see like, does the asset itself qualify as opposed to the individual? 
Um, and then you can also get into like Riley just touched on some of the, the main ways, but you can also get into more creative financing, whether it's like a vendor take back, a seller financing, whether you're doing a joint venture, stuff like that. Um, but the, the one in, in the United States that is really worth looking into for anyone, anyone looking to get started is like DSCR loans tend to be a really good option as well. Yeah. That's, that's really important point. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And there's so many ways. I think we just kind of said it without saying it. There's so many ways to finance these things, right? It's like financing really isn't a problem. I don't think it's finding good, good properties and being, you know, good managing them well and, and all that stuff. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. You guys are building your short-term rental portfolio out. And I don't remember now if we exactly cover this. I have it written down to cover it today. So maybe we didn't the management side of it. Do you guys self-manage? Are you hiring out management? How does that look for you guys? Yeah, so we we do, um, I'll say self-manage, but it's, it's definitely not Riley and I actually managing the properties. So basically what we've done, um, so my background is in growing a, a property management company for short-term rentals. So we basically have set up those same systems and we've got um, essentially like an in-house property management team where they just take care of our properties. Um, and that's what we generally recommend to anyone that's growing their portfolio to five or more properties. Let's say if you're going to have one or two properties, um, it can be beneficial, but it also can make sense to just outsource to a property manager. Um, but once you have more properties, like if you have five properties and each one of them is grossing a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year that you're going to pay to your, to your property manager in just, just property management fees. Cause typically it's about 20%. So if you're bringing in half a million dollars a year in revenue, you're paying out a hundred K to your property manager. Um, when if you just set up, like we have a, a tiered setup where we have like our cleaning team, we've got guest communication, we've got maintenance, and then we've got a portfolio manager um, who just kind of t- deals with triaging any maintenance issues, stuff like that. And you can have that set up running, managing five properties, no problem. Um, and have that, you know, you're, you're paying maybe $20,000 a year for it, maybe. Um, as opposed to the hundred K that you had sent that you paid to a property manager. So it's definitely, it makes a lot of sense once you have more scale to set it up in house the way that we do. Um, so that's what we recommend to anyone that's, you know, like I said, growing above five properties. And honestly, it can also make sense even around the one or two property mark, just depending on what kind of setup you have. Yeah, that's fair. And, and honestly, guys, I, you know, we're, this is our second interview in, in all fairness, uh, as much as I like to think that every listener hangs on my every podcast episode and hears everything I do. It's possible they didn't hear the first interview with you. So I just kind of realized this might be a disservice to someone listening to this out of context. Can we just go back for a minute and just highlight, we don't have to get deep into it, the kind of short-term rentals that you guys focus on, like what does your business look like? Are these luxury on the beach somewhere? Are they out in the woods and they're just like little pop-up tents? Like what do you guys invest in so that people have a better sense of, of your... I don't say your style, but like kind of what you guys prefer for short-term rentals, the type of properties you guys prefer. Sure. Yeah. Well, I I guess uh, background for myself was buying multifamily, residential, long-term rentals, doing the Burr method, creative financing, like joint venturing, BTBs, that sort of thing. And then got into short-term rentals recently after. Now, I would say for short-term rentals, there's a few different guest avatars that we'll target. So we, we definitely like families and groups because then they can split the cost. And so you kind of think, okay, well, where can we get 10, 12, 14, 16 people into one property? It's probably not gonna be in an urban setting because you know, 10, 12, 14 plus people in an urban setting, they're gonna be pretty loud, even if they're talking at a moderate rate. And so we're gonna to go to a more rural area where the property can be larger so we can accommodate say those, that larger group. Because then when you're charging $1,500 a night and there's 15 people, that's only hundred bucks a person. It's pretty reasonable. Um, and so we, we can do 100, 150,000 in a year for a cottage in a, in a rural setting, whereas we, we probably couldn't do that as well in, in an urban setting. Um, if we're doing urban, we typically go with a property that we have multiple plans on. So we have a plan A, B, and C, which tends to be um, A is a short term, B is a medium, and then C is a long term. And so we make sure that each of those situations, it's still cash flows, it still floats itself, it still makes sense. And Typically, it's a, it's a multifamily property. So we're buying a duplex, triplex, a fourplex. Uh, James and I are actually looking at doing more of a boutique hotel or a, or a motel here this year. And, you know, again, that's going to be in a more commercially zoned area in a rural set or in an urban setting. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what, we're, that's what we're up to. Those are the two main types of avatars that we like to target. Um, 
Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And just real quick, uh, when it comes to urban or not, are you looking to be near a touristy kind of an area? Like what kind of traffic or, or um, you know, visitation flow or, or, or a volume are you guys looking for? Yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily matter to, to us why people are coming into town. Like typically, like, it is generally going to be a rule that if we're if we have those cottage properties, it's a lot more focused towards leisure. So a lot of people are just going to like get away there. It's a more touristy destination, not not touristy in like a Disneyland type of way. But typically we find that if you're about an hour or two outside of a, a major urban center, um, like a big city, and you're in a good area that's like near ski hills, near the water, something like that, it's going to be a good staycation type destination for people. Um, that's just the, the markets that we, that we tend to invest in. Um, it's not a hard and fast rule, but typically when you are getting those larger groups, it tends to be for leisure travel. You're not getting like business travelers, uh, they were charged traveling in large groups, unless you do like a corporate retreat, um, which some of our members definitely do, but that's kind of a different, a different demographic. You have to market the property a little bit differently when that's the, the boat that you're in. So yeah, we're, we're really focused towards leisure mostly. Okay. Love it. And you guys actually mentioned, I can't remember if it was on air. I think it was on air. Um, a TV, a television show uh, with these two ladies who fix boutique hotels. So I binged it. I went and like started watching and binged it. Yeah, I got totally addicted. Just started going through like and watching the whole thing. It's it's pretty cool actually. It's actually I can't remember what they call their hotels. Do you remember off the top of their head? Motel Makeover is the uh, the show on Netflix. Big shut up. Yes, two girls, and yeah. uh, it's called the June Motel. The yeah. June, that's right. The June, they Junify yeah. things. That's right. Okay, yeah. I I sat one day and just sort of like binged watched all of them. So yeah, it was it was really really cool. I see why that's interesting for you. That looks like a lot of fun actually. Um, okay, so that's the management side. You guys do it yourself. I get. And by the way, I love when you said you you do your own self manage, but it's not you two. That is like, if I had a motto of my entire business life and my my outlook is yes, I don't do anything personally but my company handles everything right in-house i love that and uh, i think it's i think it makes total sense if they're charging 20 percent, you got five properties spitting off a hundred thousand dollars in revenue like that's insane to pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars to manage something that could cost 20 or, or less so <clears throat> when it comes to the management side of it can you give me some lessons learned, do's and don'ts, like things that maybe you guys got a little burned and, and you just adjusted your strategy. Uh, like, and I'm specifically what I'm looking for here or what I'm talking about is like monitoring software. Like I know people that have stuff in their house that will monitor if there's a flood or if people are too loud or whatever, right? The, the heating and cooling, like it regulates that. So you can't, somebody can't make it really hot or really cold. Like what kind of things do you do to your houses or to your properties that are like lessons learned that you didn't know when you first started. Yeah, I can definitely speak to this. I learned a few of these lessons the hard way. Awesome. Um, I would say, uh, so the, the one, this is a, an almost hard and fast rule. There are a few small exceptions to this one, which I can, I can touch on, but, um, I always tell people not, you know, the, the saying like, uh, uh, like every, every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. It's like <laughs> every, uh, not every one night stay will cause issues, but almost all issues will come from one night stays. That's hilarious. Okay. So, um, so if you have a really small unit, like a studio apartment, that's the one time I would make an exception to this rule and maybe allow some one night stays. But aside from that, um, you're, yeah, sure. Maybe 80% of your one night stays will go off without a hitch. But what you'll find is that if you eliminate one night stays, you pretty well eliminate all issues. Wow. Cause when someone's going to book a place for a party, what are they going to do? They're going to go and look for a one night stay specifically. Cause they don't want to be there for any longer than they have to. They don't want to, uh, like they know that the neighbors are going to complain that they're going to be kicked out of there either way. Yeah. So they just want a place for one night. And so when you just don't allow one night stays, like you set it up so that your minimum night stays two nights, it doesn't mean that they, that that's like less desirable because they have to pay more. It means you literally don't show up in those people's search results because your property just isn't available to them. Yeah. So, um, I almost always recommend just having a two night minimum stay and oftentimes even a three night minimum stay on larger, nicer properties. Okay. Um, so that's one big thing as far as the actual monitoring, um, we really like to use, uh, whether it's minute or noise aware. Um, there's another one that just came out. Um, 
I want to say it's called Sentry, something like that. Okay. Um, there's different monitors, and basically, the the most important one for us is the noise monitoring feature. They uh, a few of them have it. Um, what's really great about these uh, these sensors is that they won't they don't do any audio recording. You still have to disclose them in your unit, so in your listing on Airbnb. So just a heads up to anyone that might be uh, implementing this. Um, but the nice thing is it just monitors the decibel levels and you can set it so that if it reaches X decibel level for X amount of time, then send me a push notification to my phone or send my guest communication uh, team a push notification. They're then going to get notified and they're going to reach out to the guest and say, hey, uh, you know, I noticed that the noise uh, noise level was elevated. Can you please quiet down? It's really, really nice for them to be able to reach out to the guest before the, the neighbor reaches out to us. Um, cause ultimately those things like noise complaints are usually going to be the biggest issue that's going to, that's going to, um, drive your neighbors the wrong way. And so getting ahead of that, um, making sure those are, those issues are resolved before the neighbor gets involved. That's really helpful. Um, yeah. And then one other one that is, um, I think often just overlooked or implemented a little bit, uh, incorrectly is the, the check-in process. Um, the check-in process is really, really important because, this is like the guest first impression of your property. Um, and so you want to be really nice and easy and you want to have multiple fail stops in place so that if you have something go wrong, you've got a redundancy in place. Cause the last thing we want is for the guests to be sitting outside with all their bags waiting to get into the property and they've got to wait for someone to come by because something went wrong. So we always like to set up a smart lock on the property. Um, we use an August lock. It's one that we can remotely control from, from our phone and that our team can remotely control from their phones. So if ever the guest is locked out, they could just unlock it from anywhere in the world. So that's awesome. As a backup to that, we also get the physical keypad to go with it. So you can punch in a code as opposed to using your smartphone. And then as a backup to that, we have a lockbox, a physical lockbox on site. Um, the physical lockbox is less secure, obviously, because like someone can go and copy that key. But we like to have that as a redundancy so that if ever the battery dies in the smart locker or we have a power outage or something like that, um, that they can still get in with a physical key. What was the second thing? I heard the smart lock and I heard the lock box. What was the middle option? The middle one is so with August lock specifically, you can get a, a keypad um, and it's basically just a numeric keypad that you oh. uh, that you attach right beside the door. And then that way the guests can open the, the lock with their with their smartphone. Or if they don't want to do that, they're not tech savvy, whatever else, they can just punch in a code. I got you. And the nice thing about the one with the August lock is that you can um, you can integrate directly with Airbnb. So for every single guest that books, it generates a unique code that's unique to them and will only work from the time of their check-in to the time of their check-out. Okay. So you don't have to worry about them accessing the property too early or too late. Got it. And it does that automatically. So you don't have to go in and change the code manually when it's time for them to check out. Okay, that's awesome. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Is that Are those the only things that you put in the house for like monitoring and that kind of automation? Or do you guys monitor the heat and, and cool, like the air conditioning and heater and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we, we really like to use Nest. Uh, we'll often have like uh, like smart TVs as well are a nice thing to have just so people can easily connect, watch their watch their movies, whatever. And then we'll have a Nest thermostat just so that we can, um, the nice thing about a Nest thermostat is that you can have eco mode. So when guests aren't there, it'll turn the temperature right down or right up depending on what season it is. So you're not wasting a bunch of, a bunch of energy expense. Um, and then it'll also just follow a schedule so that if the guests do crank it up, it'll adjust it back to something reasonable. We don't actually put locks on how how high or low uh, they can set the temperature. Um, I know some people do that. Nest doesn't have the functionality to do that. We don't mind because we don't do that. Um, but yeah, it, it is really nice to have something that's gonna gonna automatically reschedule things and be be um, economically friendly for you, so that you're not just wasting a bunch of money when people aren't there. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Awesome. All right. So let's get into something that is, I think, um, I, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, some of the, all this automation is the reason why you can pay someone twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a year to, to manage your properties, because you can just do a lot of it through, through technology. And we've talked about the on-site technology. Let's talk about the software that you use to run this business. Um, and I, I've heard of a lot of different kinds, and, and I'm, I'm literally like, next week is my week I've designated, because we have two, my first two short-term rental properties are, they're uh, renovated, the furniture's in, we're getting ready to list it, so I have to create all this software and, and learn it personally next week. So what kind of software do you guys recommend? What kind do you use? for the automatic bookings and like dynamic pricing, which I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you guys do. And the, the, this is the software side of it on the back end for management. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, all, all the tech questions will kind of get directed to me. I'm, the, right. I'm definitely the tech guy <laughs> out, of the, out of the two of us. Um, I'm, the, I'm the baby boomer, you, you could say. You know? I'm definitely the baby boomer of the group. <laughs> you're a boomer. I, uh, you're the boomer in the group? I'm, all right. I'm, I'm the boomer, yeah. I, uh, I actually just got internet in like grade 11. That's oh, crazy. That wasn't nice. that long ago for me. Yeah, Look at yeah. you. Way so, to go. So, Welcome so, to, so, yeah, 2003, I know how to turn on the computer. <laughs> I know how to type. Yeah, nice. I know all that. So. Nice. So yeah. you don't have dial-up anymore? No more uh, the dial-up? Where I grew up in Nova Scotia, we just got rid of dial-up like That's last year. So it was crazy. funny, dude. Yeah, Elon came in with with the uh, with the satellite <laughs> saved us. Starlink, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think yeah. I, I probably taxed you, Riley, last time with the questions that I had. They probably were more in your court. So I guess now we're just switching over a little yeah. bit, and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna push James a little bit. All right. Awesome. Yeah. What, so, yeah, what kind of software so, do you use? So for the for backend management there's a few different softwares you're going to you're going to want to use um the first one that you're that you're going to want to set up um on your on your kind of hosting journey is going to be what's called a channel management software so your channel management software um like what a channel channel management software really does like the core functionality is exactly what the name suggests it manages the different channels that your property is listed on so if you go and list your property on airbnb and vrbo and maybe booking.com you're going to immediately have this problem where, Hey, if someone books on VRBO, I need it to block the calendar over on Airbnb. Um, and then you're also going to want to have somewhere that centralizes the guest communication so that instead of logging in out of these three different, different platforms, we can go into one place, manage all our guest communication, make sure that everything's in the right place. So that's the core functionality there of a channel management software. But the nice thing is that obviously channel management software companies, like they've gone and, and just thought, hey, what else can we add to this? What can we do to make it better? And they, there's tons of additional functionality beyond that just core functionality. So the one that we really love is called HostAway. Um, it's, a, it's built for property managers. So it's just more robust than a lot of the ones that are built for owners. Um, and so like the nice thing about HostAway uh, the biggest thing is they just got what's called like the triple crown um, API connection. So they've got the highest level of API integration with both Airbnb, booking.com and VRBO, which means that you're just never going to really run into API issues. Like someone books on Airbnb and then it doesn't block your calendar on, on VRBO by accident because their integration failed. And then now you've got a double booking that just doesn't happen. So that's really nice. Um, the other thing that's really good. So you can, you can, manage all your listings. You can do all your listing updates, all your pricing updates, all your guest communication in one place. You can do all your financial reporting, look at your numbers in, in various different ways and set up custom financial reports. One of the things we really, really like is the task management feature, which allows our, it's really well integrated. Um, Cause basically what you can do is you can set up each member of your team with different levels of permission on the back end. So your cleaning team goes in here, they see the schedule and that's, that's what tells them exactly when to go and turn over the unit. Um, and then if they have an issue, like they go by to the property and they see, oh, there's a light bulb that's burnt out. They then log into Hostway and submit a task and assign it to our maintenance person that's, hey, the, the light bulb needs to be changed. The maintenance person now gets an alert that says the light bulb needs to be changed and they can progress that through the different stages of this is in progress, this is completed, I need some assistance with this. Um, so our whole team is set up on, on the back end there and managing everything really nicely through that. Um, that's Hostway. There's various different channel management softwares out there. Hostway is just the one that re we really like the best. Um, and then the next one that you're probably going to end up, uh, end up using is generally going to be like a host, uh, a guest book software. Um, you can also just use Google slides or PowerPoint for this, but you're going to want to give your guests a guest book that has all the information about, about the property. Um, we quite like the, the tool hostfully for this because it's just a nice user-friendly guest book that people can access from their smartphones. Um, it allows you to collect the guest email addresses when they access it too, which is a really nice feature for remarketing. Um, so that's probably the second one it's that you'll use. It's called hostfully? Is that what you said? Hostfully. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say that the, the third software that you're going to, you're going to want to add is going to be, uh, like pricing optimization or automation. Um, we actually really, really strongly recommend that people price their properties manually when they first get started. Um, Cause what we found is that, um, so we really, really like price labs um, and we use that for a few of our properties now for pricing automation. But the way I always describe it to people is that pricing, autom uh, 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 pricing automation tools, they're usually marketed as pricing optimization tools. And I think that's a bit misleading. Um, it's kind of like having a formula one car and 
The question is, do you know how to drive? If you don't know how to drive, putting you behind the wheel of a Formula One car is going to end in disaster. If you do know how to drive really well, then putting you behind the wheel of that, of that car is going to have a good, really good lap time. You're going to get great numbers. Um, and so what I always tell people is like, how, use some tools, like just spreadsheets, do some research, figure out how to price your property manually and watch for yourself and see the, the trends that happen. When do people tend to book a lot? What weekends get booked up really quickly? Which ones don't? Which dates are hard to fill? Which ones are easier to fill? Um, and start doing the manual pricing. Um, and we use like our own custom built spreadsheet that tells us when to raise and lower rates so you can get a really good feel for it. Once you've got a really good feel for it, for how your property specifically performs, that's when it's really helpful to then plug into a tool like Price Labs because it'll automate all those adjustments for you. And now it's taking care of it. But the thing that you'll do is you'll go in and you'll, you'll customize the way that it works. So you can apply different rules to it that are going to allow it to run a lot more effectively. Because if you don't give it those rules and you don't know how to do that properly, we found that they'll often, they'll often underperform on, on pricing your listing. Okay. So when you're kind of doing it yourself, if I'm hearing you right, maybe I'm not, but it, it's almost like you have to go through a whole year to know which weekends book and which ones don't. You can't figure it out in a month or two or three, right? It's like you don't know until you yeah. get through that process. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And it, it realistically, I, I will say as well, it only takes about 10 minutes or so per week per property to optimize your pricing. Um, once you have a good, a good system for it, but yeah, we still, to this day, we'll, we'll manually price our properties for an entire year, just like you said, before we set them up on price labs. Oh, okay, cool. So do you guys have any like, um, advice for people? And I've talked to a lot of short-term rental folks who say, you know, don't let your properties get booked out for like, they only let them book out for like, let's just say the next three months, right? They don't let people book it 10 months from now. They, they restrict that. How, how do you guys handle that? Yeah, that's a, it's a really, really good question. Um, so what you really want to do is go on AirDNA and look at what the, the occupancy rates are for the top performing properties in your area for various different months of the year. And then we have sort of benchmarks of if in a given month, let's say the goal to, to be for occupancy in July this year is 100%. It's high season where our target is to be fully booked for July. Well, we want to know how, how many of those bookings, what percentage of those 31 days should be booked four months in advance, should be booked three months in advance, should be booked two months in advance, one month in advance, and then two weeks in advance. And same thing, if the goal for July were 50%, if we know that the top properties, the most they get booked is 50%, then what percentage of those 15 days should be booked five months, four months, three months, two months in advance? And then what we do is we basically just watch. And so if we know that right now, as we sit here in, in April, if we should only have, let's say five days booked for July, well, if we have three days booked, then let's lower our rates a bit because we're a bit behind where we should be. Gotcha. And if we should have, if we, if we should have five days booked, but we have 10, well, let's raise our rates up because we're overbooked. So it's not necessarily as simple as like, you should just get booked up three months in advance. It's that you should know what the goal is for each given month of the year and know where you should be relative to that at each given point. And then that's going to tell you whether you should increase or decrease your rates or just hold steady because you're right on track to where you should be. Got it. Wow. That's, so that's just more nuanced, obviously, than just saying, you know, arbitrarily. But is there a line in the sand where you guys say, I don't, under no circumstances, will we let someone book one of our properties more than X amount of months in advance? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I will say like, we don't really have a hard and fast rule about it. We never open up the calendar more than 12 months in advance because okay. we just find that no one really books further. That yeah. being said, if a guest reached out to us and said, hey, I really want to book for two years from now, I've got an event, I just stayed with you guys, I'm going to have family coming down. We, we would open up the dates and we wouldn't okay. We wouldn't stick to that rule. Gotcha. Um, but generally speaking, if you are if you have your rates really optimized, it's, it's very rare that you'll get a booking more than six months in advance for most markets. Okay. Um, it will happen the odd time, but it'll be at a, at a pretty sky high rate where you're kind of just setting anything beyond six months out into the future. We're generally setting at a, at a rate where we're like, we don't really want to get this booked up quite yet. We don't yeah. need to, but if someone books it, great. Yeah. You know, if they're going to pay this price for it, amazing. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. That's great. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, this is this is something I, I I've not had this conversation that I want to have with you guys right now with anybody else, honestly. So I'm really curious how you guys do this because everything else you do is so intentional and well thought out and and just 
well done that I'm, I'm really curious to hear your answer on this. Let's talk about the science of the listing itself, the aesthetics of it, the way it appears when people look for your properties. Let's. I don't want to lead you because I don't know the process. So just tell me how you guys look at that. What are what are your philosophies around the actual listing on, you know, Airbnb or anywhere else? Yeah. So the the we kind of break it down into there's elements that are the most important down to the least important. And that ultimately um, the the rule of thumb is like, what's the first thing the guests see and what's the most important thing for guests. And then what's the last thing they see that's generally going to be the least important. Um, So the first thing that guests see when they first search for a property, um, when they put in their dates and they select, I want to go here for these dates and it's this many people, they get a list of search results and it's basically just thumbnail photos of each property, the cover photo. And then right below it, you've got, um, you've got the listing title and then you've got the price. So the, the cover photo is far and away one of the most important aspects of your listing. You want to, you want to ultimately the, the job that that cover photo has is to generate click throughs, get someone to click on that and be like, Oh wow, that looks like a cool place. I want to learn more. Same thing with the, with the title, the title of the property. Don't try to um, try to give guests like a, don't name your property that like that doesn't really mean much to guests. Don't try to give guests all kinds of data and information. Try to evoke an emotional response of, Oh wow, that's cool. So like packing in a bunch of value, like um, saying that there's a sauna that pet friendly, um, like cool features, amenities, like um, perfect for couples, things like that, that are going to generate people, uh, people to click through. Those are two of the most important elements of your listing. Um, what we found that guests will, will generally do uh, is the next thing they'll do once they click through is they'll look through the photos before they do anything else. They're going to look through the photos. And so what we want to do is two things. Number one, we want to, uh, to like get them to book. We want them to see, okay, there's just a bunch of value here. This is everything I want. But then what's generally going to happen is that as they go through and they're like, oh, this property is beautiful. This is amazing. They're going to have questions come up. Oh, does it have this? Does it have that? What about the kitchen? Is it fully stocked? Is there Netflix? Is there Wi-Fi? And so we want to, we want to use those photos to both make someone emotionally interested and like want to book this property, but also we want to answer all the potential questions they have. And we can do that by having strategic photos and also through the captions beneath the photos. So um, with the photos themselves, one of the things I always, I always tell people to do is like, um, you want to answer as many questions with as little work for the guest as possible. So if you can answer it with a photo as opposed to the caption, then do it. So rather than just taking a photo of the living room and then putting down below in the caption that you have Netflix, make sure the Netflix logo is up on the TV screen in the photo itself. Um, same thing with the kitchen, rather than just taking one zoomed out photo of the kitchen and then listing down below all the different little appliances and stuff you have, put your appliances out on the counter, like your countertop appliance, like the blender, the juicer, the mixer, whatever it is, and then take a photo specifically of just those so that people can see, Oh, they have all those. They've got the coffee maker. They've got all that stuff. If you have coffee pods, then make sure they're out on the counter and there's a photo of them. Um, and we generally, the kind of formula that we follow for the arrangement of the photos is we like to have the cover photo is our biggest wow factor photo. Follow that up by maybe three to seven photos that are going to showcase the hardest hitting amenities, the things guests will love about the property. So if you've got like a hot tub, a sauna, things like that, showcase those early on so you're going to keep their attention. Then from there, we just like to go through sort of a virtual tour with the photos going through the property methodically um, in a way that makes sense that we're not just jumping from like the bedroom to the backyard to the basement (laughs) all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's really like the, the most important piece there. If you do that really, really well, like your, your headline, your cover photo and the remainder of your photos, that's eight, the 80, 20 of it. That's 80% of the effort The the last piece that's important is going to be your listing description. Um, which is uh, basically if guests have questions that aren't answered from the photos, that's when they're going to look to the listing description to see if they can get answers to more of those questions. So again, it's really just about giving them uh, giving them the information that they're going to have questions about as clearly and concisely as possible. So my, my number one piece of advice on that is bullet points, bullet points, bullet points, bullet points. Don't give people a wall of text. They will not read through it. And if they have to like comb through this big, huge wall of text to figure out that in the master bedroom, there's a king size bed, they're just not going to know that. And you risk losing them as a guest. So instead of that, put a heading for each bedroom and list the amenities that each bedroom has. So queen bed, TV, Netflix, et cetera, and then do that for the other rooms in the house. Um, 
And then the the only other piece that actually goes on behind the scenes, because um, most guests will never even look here, but it does help you to just perform better uh, on, on Airbnb search algorithms, is making sure that on the back end of the listing, you go and select off which amenities your property has and give as much detail about them as possible. Because that way, if someone searches for a place and they go in and specifically filter for properties that have a hot tub, if you don't, if you have a photo of the hot tub and you have it showing up, but you haven't actually checked that box on the back end that says I have a hot tub, then your property is just not going to show up in those search results. Yeah, that makes that makes tons of sense. Speaking of hot tubs and things, are there amenities that you guys try to get? Like you just know the value is so worth it that you just sort of want to have this in all your properties. Is there anything like that? I mean, it could be anything, not necessarily a hot tub, but is there something like that that you just go, this is such a great secret weapon that we just make sure it's always there? Yeah, I would say it really does depend on who your guest avatar is going to be. And so if if your guest avatar is going to be, you know, children, then you might want to have a Pac-Man machine. I know James has one at one of his properties. A Pac-Man machine? And like a Pac-Man like, machine. Like a video game? Like, like a legit, like yeah, from do, an arcade? Do, 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 okay. or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. One of those guys. Like That's a legit awesome. one, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so they love that. And, you know, if, if it's maybe more of a, you know, like a middle-aged crowd um, and you're in a rural setting, well, well, yeah, like that hot tub idea, the sauna, um, even like sports, like spike ball, I know is a big one. A lot of people like that in the summertime, a volleyball net. We have a volleyball net at one of the properties. And so that's a good one, right? A ping pong table, nice. um, a foosball table, like all of those things, because that actually makes the experience in and of yeah. itself. Um, you know, even for children, board games, you know, we have puzzles at some of the properties, um, mm. and, uh, it kind of goes on from there. Right. Yeah. And then the one thing that we'll do is like, actually just going off of James's point in the photos, will have usually will hire like an Airbnb photographer. So they're like a specialist in the Airbnb space. Okay. They, they do this, they know how to set, set the stage. Um, and, and we'll actually have props there. So like, you know, in the kitchen, we'll have watermelon sliced or we'll have mm. maybe a glass of wine. And so they can actually envision themselves there at the property yeah. as they're going through the photos. And one of the things that we'll have them do, like, like we had mentioned was just like take photos of their specific amenities. So like the board games or the, the you know, not just the ping pong table, folded it's like actually out with the net up and and the ping pong paddles are there with the balls like all those little fine touches do matter because if if they don't know that we have ping pong balls maybe they actually think that oh me you know maybe i have to bring my own ping pong balls yeah all these all the little things right do add up but um those are the main amenities i think it does again depend on the guest avatar though um and uh you know another another great one actually is a whole movie theater We've done a, a few whole movie theaters now in the basement, just a projector for three hundred fifty dollars, and find a white wall and. Oh, and, okay. Uh, you're, it, so you're not putting up like a not whole proper theater; it's just no, a projector yeah. for three. I guess bucks. one could, but sure, yeah, yeah, you don't really, you know, for, for our properties, we don't really need yeah. to for our clients. That's but awesome. It, it's those things that they might not have at home that are now a part of the experience. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I love that. So when it comes to listings, it and maybe this is just like the answer could be not doing the things we said, but is there, are there mistakes that you see where you go, Oh man, they are so, that is so bad. Like, is there, are there things that people do wrong consistently with their listings on Airbnb or anywhere else that you see? And you're just like rookie mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They photograph it themselves. Um, Like just no matter how Mm. many times I tell people not to photograph it themselves, I still end up finding people that went, Oh no, like I took a photography class back in high school and I've got this DSLR camera. I can, I can save $200 and not, and not hire a photographer. Yeah. And it's so bad. It's never good. Cause even like Riley said, like we hire specifically Airbnb photographers, like photographers who are, who have experience photographing short-term rental properties. Um, Cause even if you get like a real estate photographer in there, they're used to showcasing the bones of a property. They're not used to helping guests envision themselves staying there, yeah. right? Because it's not you're not selling the property, you're selling the experience. Um, and so like finding a professional photographer, but also just a good professional photographer who knows exactly what you're looking for, that's super important. And I see way too many people think that they can they can save a couple hundred dollars by not doing that. Um, and that's just a perfect example of stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Where do you guys find these these Airbnb these short term rental? I say Airbnb sometimes it's so ridiculous. I know it's short term rental. Short term rental properties. Where do you find these photographers? You're saying specifically for these like where do you find somebody like that? Yeah, like yeah so- even just like a, a like web like Google search. You can Google search it and it comes up. Instagram is a great resource too. Just like hashtag. Airbnb photographer, you know, in, in your, in your city there, you can filter by your city. Okay. Um, James, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah. 
No, those were literally the two I was going to recommend. Google search and Instagram are definitely the the ones to go for. It's funny. I mean, it's just this is the magic of speaking to people that know their business because I it didn't even like I didn't even know there was such a thing. I didn't know there were. Sp- I would have just thought the the thing to do would be to go to a or like a real estate photographer, right? Like that's who you would normally go to. I didn't even know that there were people who specialized in in short term rentals. Which shame on me. I mean, I know people specialize in everything that's important. Everything that has like traction like this, somebody has figured out a way to specialize in a part of it. It just never occurred to me that there were people photographers specifically for this. That's that's amazing. That's a great little uh, gem, a little golden nugget that I don't think anybody would have thought of. Um, <clears throat> okay. So we talked about the software, which is awesome. We talked about the science of the listing, the financing, the management. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you guys know? Because uh, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? Is there anything that we haven't touched on or anything left that people should be aware of in their short-term rental business growing it that you guys would like to throw out there before we, we're done here? What do you think, I have Riley? one. I have okay. one, and I'll, maybe, maybe you have one too, James, but... I think um, having a bit of experience in real estate and a bunch of different strategies, this one can be the most active. It can be extremely active um, if you allow it to. And I think that's just something to bear in mind. And that was the, probably the main reason why I didn't have any exposure with it early on. And I, I was like hesitant until I met James and he had the systems in the back end for the management and all that good stuff. Um, Cause it can be a lot. And so I recommend you certainly like if you, if you want to get into the space, just either have the time available and be ready to be quite active yourself, which I know a lot of people get into real estate to not be active. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, but, but bear in mind, like it's either that option or you need to have a really great team with really great systems and, and ha- have training material too, for your team too. Yeah. Um, where they come in and they know what they're doing. Um, management fees can be expensive. So just, you know, be careful with those. I spoke to someone, apparently there's a 50% management rate in places like Colorado, um, it's a lot, wow. you know, it's a lot of money. And so it usually makes sense that before you go ahead and buy a property and kind of use it as your, as your crutch, um, you know, 35 to 50% management rate to actually figure out how to do it in house yeah. because, um, that's where a lot of the money will be made. Yeah. That's, that's a really um, great point. And I, I love that. Um, the fact that it is active, right? Somebody had told me the way they phrased it to me before was like every house or property that you buy is a a mini hospitality business, you know, it's not, it's not just like set it and forget it like a long-term, like it's, it's active. So that's a great point. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll even just like expand on that a little bit is, uh, is with, uh, with your team specifically as well. If you are, no matter what you're doing, if you're setting up a property management team, um, and outsourcing it, or if you're doing it in-house, uh, like we do having a team that's exceptionally reliable, is I think an underrated, um, an underrated thing to look out for. I think so many people when they're looking for say a cleaning team, they go, okay, how, how immaculately clean can they get this property? And to me, I would much rather have a clean team that the, the clean is 80% and the reliability is a hundred percent. Now, obviously the ultimate is to have a clean at 95% or greater and reliability at a hundred percent. Yeah. But I'd rather have a clean team that shows up 100% of the time and does an 80% job than a team that shows up 80% of the time and does a 100% job. Because yeah. um, once you have that team set up, the, the one thing that throws a wrench into things more than anything else is your team not being reliable, just not showing up. And then you've got to scramble last minute to figure something out, whether that's guest communication, cleaning, whatever. So just whether it's your property management company that you're outsourcing to or your individual team members that you're building in-house, just make sure you get a really, really good, reliable team. That's that's great. I appreciate that. Yeah. And we didn't talk really about cleaning. I know that's the kind of the Achilles heel sometimes for folks in this industry. Where do you guys just quickly, where do you guys find your your cleaning crews when you go into a new area, for example? Um, generally, uh, it's kind of the same rule of thumb with maintenance is the harder they are to find, um, the, the better they're, the more likely it is that it's going to work out. Really? So if you okay. do a quick Google search, um, you're going to get the, the busiest cleaner in the area is the first <laughs> person that shows up first <laughs> on your Google search. Yeah. Um, so like, I really like to go through, uh, like just word of mouth, honestly, just asking around the neighborhood, uh, word of mouth, who's a good cleaner in the area is one. Um, going into Facebook groups, there's usually like a Facebook group for like a community or you might find even like an Airbnb hosting group for the region that you're in okay. and then just asking around in there. 
Um, you can find good people uh, like searching on Google, but it, you can also find people that are very expensive and very, very busy. Yeah. Um, so we like to find that sweet spot for us is that cleaning team that's like maybe two to 10 people, usually even like two to five people. So you're not like a one man show where you can, again, lack on that reliability if they're yeah. sick or something, yep. but you're not a big enough company that they have like established systems and processes that you need to mold into as opposed to them being able to adapt. To wow. You. That's huge, man. I, I can't believe we didn't really hit on that too much, but that, that tip right there is enormous, right? I think intuitively people go, I want to go to the service that's huge, right? They're, they're going to be reliable, but you're right. You got to mold into their system and, and you're just such a small deal to them. So that's, that's great. Thank you for that guys. Well, listen, we, uh, somehow an hour disappeared again, talking to you guys. I don't know. I've never seen people don't, I don't know if I've had a guest that made time disappear as fast as you guys do. Uh, cause I just enjoy talking to you you're very smart and you very knowledgeable guys and very forthcoming. So I appreciate that. Um, can I give a shout out? Where can people get a hold of you? Where can they find you? Where would we like to direct them? If anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, bnbinnercircle.com. If you guys want to want to chat with us more, if you want to learn more about the coaching that we do, if you want uh, our help with uh, investing in short-term rentals, then just check out bnbinnercircle.com. Um, and you can go through the site there, learn more about us. And like, there's a contact us form on the site there if you want to get in touch as well. Awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again for coming back a second time. I really do appreciate it. I know you're busy. You got things going on, uh, but I really, really enjoyed this. It was super informative, not just for me, but I know everyone listening. So thanks again for doing it. And I wish you guys nothing but luck in the future. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Sure thing. Okay, there you have it, guys. Part two of the James and Riley interview where we talk about short-term rentals. Uh, I, I do think these guys really know what they're talking about. I mean, they, they have it dialed in. Very smart. I've interviewed tons of people, and I really can smell uh, people who know what they're talking about, and they're like legit, and people who maybe aren't as legit, right? Um, and so these guys are the real deal. I, I really believe that. And that's why I wanted to uh, make this second interview possible because I had a lot of questions personally. And if I have them, there's a really good chance other people have them. So I hope you guys love this interview. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you're going to get into short-term rentals or you're already doing it, I would get into their world because these guys, uh, I think, probably help you be more successful. So with that, I will let you go. And listen, here's the bottom line. Whether you listen to my podcast, another podcast, you listen to James and Riley or somebody else about short-term rentals or whatever it is you want to do, none of it makes a difference if you don't apply what you're hearing. So go out. I challenge you today to go out and do something that moves you closer to your goal. Make today the first day where you change things for the better. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time.